we are a rich people, incredibly rich people. Even perhaps the poorest among us were still rich by the world's standards. Maybe it's showing of how greedy and impulsive I am. But when I'm asked what I would like for Christmas, I have to sit down and think and literally come up with things. It's because many people are in the habit of if I want it and if I can afford it, within reason, I will buy it. For some people, not even within reason. And you really can't write for your Christmas list, I would like money to pay off my school loans and a house. Things like that. But we we seem to soak the fun out of gift giving when we respond when asked, I don't know, a gift card. So whenever I think of something else I want in the next few months, it won't be coming out of my own pocket. (laughs) We're a rich people. And when we're not rich, greedy, or impulsive, we're often too proud. We reject gifts, we hem and haw, and sometimes we're taken back, or we might be slightly perturbed if someone has lavishly blessed us. How much did you spend? I can't accept this. I want us to turn to Luke 2 again this morning, only we're backtracking in terms of chronology where we were last week. We examined Simeon's words in the temple last week. This week, through prayer, I felt drawn really to two words that the angel says to the shepherds when announcing the birth of Christ. I know it's a little bit laborious for you, but if you can stand for one verse, I'd invite you to do so as we read uh, the word of God together. Luke 2.11 states, Today in the city of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we examine this verse, verses around it, but hopefully by your spirit and grace, hone in on what you meant by giving yourself to us. I pray that again, Jesus would be exalted. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking, working on our hearts and our minds, saying what it is that you desire to say from your word. Give us open and receptive hearts and minds. Soften our hearts to your words. Uh, I pray that however you wish for us to respond, whether it be take comfort, find conviction and repent, whatever it is, help us to do so by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. You may be seated. Christianity or our, our faith seems to be full of paradoxes, contrary truths. Christ is Lord and King, but he's also suffering servant. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. Christ's death brought us life. A life lived for Christ is life abundantly, and it's one that demands our sacrifice. God saves those whom he foreknew before the foundations of the earth, and we must choose to yield to him. And I think the biggest struggle in this passage, in fact, this is the second passage I considered this week preaching, and it's my second draft of my sermon on that passage. And the biggest struggle is that 
I hope I aim for God-centered sermons. But how do I do that when, A, I feel like God led me to this passage for two simple words, and it seems very me-centered? Because I've seen and heard and read me-centered theology that's just horrible. It's a praise and exaltation of people at the expense of God. And furthermore, there are passages in the Bible that that speaks of the waywardness and the sinfulness and the outright hostility to God from man. But at the same time, we cannot overlook what the gospel is. It's another paradox. It's about God and his greatness and his sovereignty and his willingness to lay down his own deity. But it's all about man because Christ didn't do this for himself, per se. No, what does Jesus say? For God so loved who? Not himself, not his own glory, though arguably God does all things to glorify himself, but he loved the world. That's us. The sinful, rotten people, right? That he gave his one and only son. That's Advent Nativity language, the coming of Christ. He is given that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this might shock you, but Jesus continues on in John 3, doesn't he? (laughs) Though many prefer John 3.16 in a vacuum, but the continued words are relevant because Jesus says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You hear that? That's... The language of favor and mercy and grace and compassion. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Oh, there's plenty of condemnation of mankind in the Bible. All the scriptures are valid. They're all worth reading. We do need to hear those words. They're just as Bible and, and errant and inspired as what we're reading here in John 3. There's a paradox. We are a sinful lot. We are a loved Lot, we deserve not a thing from God since we've offended him and we're given everything. Today, in the city of David, a savior has been born to you, says the angel to the shepherds. An angel. Now, angelic encounters, I hope you know, aren't everyday things. And I guess if you confess to say they are for me, I'd say you might want your head examined. There are people who I know look to the scriptures. And their first thought might even be, really an angel? But before we believe this was happening left and right, let's keep time and place in mind for the New Testament, which depending on how what you believe in terms of time, it covers around from maybe the B.C. A.D. crossover mark to maybe 65 A.D. or so. So 65 years. And in that time, angelic visitations were made around the birth of Christ, the resurrection and ascension of Christ 30 years or so later, and a time or two to Peter and Paul in the coming years. So in the in a span of, let's just say, 50 years, the New Testament records three major encounters or phenomena. As for the Old Testament, that's looking at over 6,000 years of human history. So when you read an angelic encounter in one book, and then another encounter in another book, you're not looking at Monday as opposed to Thursday later that week. 
easily hundreds of years are between angelic encounters. In other words, I know it's miraculous. That's why we call it a miracle. An angel shows up to the shepherds. Just then an angel stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And I just lost my place. (laughs) Okay. I really lost my place. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'll just start from the beginning. Yeah. Way up here. Just then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. This is the proper response. This is the expected response, the reverent response, terror. Like Isaiah, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We don't experience, we don't encounter these beings every day. The shepherds were terrified. Perhaps like Isaiah, they knew their place. It's easy for shepherds to know their place when they were socially the low men on the food chain. What they're going to see, experience, and relate, while it may be believed, obviously by Joseph and Mary and some of the townspeople, it couldn't be received or accepted in court. They know who they are before the very presence of God. And if Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord, knew his place as sinner and altogether unacceptable, non-receivable for the, before the presence of God, so the shepherds are quaking, knowing their place before, uh, the, while the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I guess if I can get the thrust of this entire message, I said into one sentence, I think it's two or three, but in one picture, it's right here. It is right, holy, acceptable, and it only makes sense if in the presence of God we feel our sin and know our place and feel righteous terror because of it. And likewise... It is also right, holy, acceptable, and it is God's intent that we also know in his presence we need not be afraid because he offers Christ. An angel of the Lord shows up for this, what we might self-righteously, pharisaically call a man-centered message. It's only man-centered because that's God's focus. His focus is on people to save them. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Today, said the angel, it's happening right now. An angel stands before the shepherds. you got to imagine the fields, the roaming sheep, the night's breeze, if there was a breeze. Many believe it's springtime for the sheep and the shepherd to be out with them in the fields. You can imagine the slight smells and odors, (laughs) unpleasant to many. As Calvin would say about the cows, it smells like money. No. <laughs> but then the sky lights up. It's an angel. He's not from another world. He's not lost as far as this world is concerned. He's talking about this world, and he says today it's happening. It's historical. 
Jesus of Nazareth is a truly historical figure. Did you know that he's the holder of a lot of records? Perhaps immediately relevant among the records he holds is the fact that there are more books written about Jesus, Bible and outside of the Bible, than any other person to ever walk planet Earth. Secondly, the calendar we all set our clocks by literally hinges on him. B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now, the scholars have now moved to B.C.E. and C.E., which did you know it's before Christ's era and Christ's era? Oh, no, it's before common era and the common era, but I like to still use anyways. The point is, is call it what you want. Why is the calendar changing 200 or 2,023 years ago? It's still Christ's birth that the calendar hinges on. It's like people some time ago when establishing the calendar wanted us to not forget it happened. The angel then connects the daily reality with the biblical revelation in the city of David. This book right here speaks to us today about today. Whether the shepherds or the lowly shepherds, whether one might suspect, you know, they may have not been every Sabbath attenders to the synagogue. Nevertheless, the angels dignify their audience with a reference to the city of David, Bethlehem, where the Messiah is coming from. He is being born. And this Savior, so they say at the end of verse 11, is Christ the Lord. Lord here in Luke 2.11 is Kurios, which was the common way that Jews in the New Testament actually referred to Yahweh. It doubled just as a few hundred years ago in the times of the aristocrats. A servant would call their household master Lord, but then they also would call their God the Lord. So this term, Kurios, was kind of the same idea. And so the angel, presumably speaking in the language at the time, at least the shepherds understood them, called Christ the Lord. Christ is just the anointed Messiah. That's Christ. And then Kurios, Lord, which actually could be Yahweh. This is who is being born. None other than the long-anticipated Messiah and Yahweh himself. God became man. That's what's happening. Incarnation. Fancy theological word that comes from flesh. Carne. Carne. Chili con carne, meat. In the fleshness, that's kind of what incarnation is. It's what John says in his gospel account. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John would record this exchange where Jesus says in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. At this, the Jews again picked up stones to stone him. And it says again, because actually earlier in John, verse five, chapter 5, verse 18, we read, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this isn't a claim that came after Jesus' death and resurrection. It's a claim that Jesus himself made. You know, I've referred to this quote from time to time, and I said, I need to go back and get the actual quote from C.S. Lewis, because I always just butcher it. So, 
In the book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. This is who is born today when the angel spoke to the shepherds. God became man, and he's here. Why? Well, Jesus told us, out of love for the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. To you. Want us to hear this. An angel shows up. Doesn't happen every day. The glory of the Lord shines about him. The angel declares in no uncertain terms. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Words spoken by the prophets are finding their culmination. The one true and only God of the universe. The star breather. The world creator. The one who made the deepest ocean trenches and the highest mountain peaks. That maker is becoming flesh. Vulnerable, fragile, frail flesh. The deity. And he's doing this and he's coming and he's condescending to you. To you. I don't know if I appreciate that as I should. I'm too busy supplying, buying, and having all the things I think I could ever want. Or dismissing and shrugging off and being too proud to receive something. But what the angel says is something we could never buy off Amazon or manufacture ourselves. We cannot buy God or or earn his favor. Christians who practice Christmas for Christian reasons often point to the wise men as a biblical precedent and symbol for gift giving. But let us not overlook the greatest gift. This baby was not born just to Mary or just to his parents, but a Savior has been born to you. To you. When Jesus is in the womb of Mary, her womb, not his womb. (laughs) But then Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. What does Elizabeth say? And why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? My Lord, ownership. Even before he was born to you, as the angel said to the shepherds, some are already taking ownership. Elizabeth knows the Lord in Mary's womb is her Lord. Still, the angel of the Lord, before he had announced the birth, he called such an occasion good news of great joy that will be for all people. To you, the explicit recipients of God becoming flesh is people. And Jesus would say again, for God so loved the world that he gave. Who, to who? Us, his one and only son. And I got to say, Friday night, from this point on, I went about three or four different directions. <laughs> yeah. 
First of all, I noted the language here is very similar to, uh, to Isaiah 9-6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And I could have went there, and I did go there, and I started unpacking all those terms, wonderful counselor, mighty God, and so forth. Even went in the snow and over here to the church and went back to my house to grab a commentary. But then it just didn't sit right. So I thought, and I prayed again, Lord, to you, what, what do you want to say with this? This child is given. And finally, I came across another commentary, a commentator I never went to before. He was a confessional Lutheran from the early 1800s, or I should say from the late 1800s into the early 1900s. And Paul Edward Kretzmann, and he wrote some words that I really feel the Lord was directing my own thoughts and feelings towards uh, the second I feel like the Lord said, you need to talk about to you. And he writes... Unto you is born, which implies all that he is and has is yours. And he is your savior. Not only that you regard him thus, but that he can deliver you from sin and death and devil and all misfortune. Yea, as great as he is, he is born for you and is yours with all that he has. And finally, note the word unto you. As though he would say, until now you have been captives of the devil. He has plagued you with water, fire, pestilence, sword, and who can narrate all the misfortune? And when he has tortured soul and body, eternal death threatens afterward. Unto you, the angel says, unto you that were held captive under this harmful evil, poisonous spirit, who is the prince and God of the world, the Savior is born. The words unto you should surely make us happy. For to whom does he speak? To wood or stone? No, to men, and not to one or two only, but to all the people. We have need of him, and for our sakes he has become man. Therefore it behooves us people that we accept him with joy, as the angel here says, unto you is born a Savior. I remember an object lesson that my dad would always tell me growing up, talking about gifts. And I opened the message with this idea of being too greedy or getting our own gifts before Christmas. And so we have to come up with ideas (laughs) or being too proud and, and not accepting gifts because, you know, how much did you spend on that? Well, my dad, with God, with Christ Jesus in mind, said that sometimes receiving a gift is useless if we put it on the shelf and never use it. Right. What good does that do? Suppose someone sends you a Christmas gift, you don't even unwrap it, you just set it on the shelf, thanks, and you move on with life. And I wonder if the Lord hasn't been saying this to me, unwrap me, right? I was born to you. How many of us Christians are out there thinking that we still need to impress God before he saves us? How many Christians are out there wondering, who's going to save the world? Will the next election help America out? How many of us are out there saying, I just feel so distant to God. I wish, I wish. In the words of Job, for he is not a man like me that I can answer him, that that we can take each other to court, nor is there a mediator between us to lay his hand upon us both. Let him remove his rod from me so that his terror will no longer frighten me. Then I would speak without fear of him. But as it is, I'm on my own. And the angel is saying to the shepherds, if the shepherds were Job, no, you're not on your own. Not anymore. There is a mediator. He's been born to you. Right? 
again, the thrust of this entire message. It is right, holy, acceptable, and only makes sense if in the presence of God we feel our sin and know our place and feel righteous terror because of it. And likewise, it is right and holy and acceptable, and it is God's intent that we also know in his presence we need not be afraid because he offers Christ. All that he is and has is yours and he is your savior and not only that you regard him thus but that he can deliver you from sin, death, devil and all misfortune. Do you or I really believe that? I think my problem is is that I'm still Isaiah back in Isaiah 6:5. Woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips dwelling among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I claim to know the gospel. But I wonder, do I know that when Jesus showed up as a baby through Mary, that he is really, totally, emphatically, literally, certainly meant to me? He was born to me. And Jesus never lost sight of this. He always knew that he wasn't here for himself or for his own reasons. Another reason I was hesitant to depart to go to Isaiah 9, which feels like a natural thing to do in the Advent season, is that if I'm able while I'm preaching, I like to let the author of who I'm preaching from, in our case Luke, show for himself any themes the Holy Spirit may have inspired him with as he wrote his book. In other words, keep it all connected. In other words, you don't go and read what Dean wrote to figure out what Kevin's writing more, right? And so... We looked at Elizabeth knowing that it was her Lord because Jesus was born to all people. But near the end of Jesus' life, I was reminded, Luke records Jesus using this sort of terminology. We talked about this last week, that, that from the get-go, the nativity story, Joseph heard, she will give a birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is his purpose. This is why he came, to save people from their sins. And near the end of Jesus' life, he's preparing to do just that. And what happens as the disciples gather together with Jesus to eat? And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, what? This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When the angels, angel told the shepherds that he was born to you, Jesus really was always in every way for us, given to us. His body is given to us. His blood is given to us and for us. This Baby, this frail baby, God in the flesh, incarnation, the long-anticipated Messiah, the Christ, inaugurated by a miraculous angel to unsuspecting shepherds watching sheep. Here is God. He is here. And he's born to you. And God has given himself to us. He has become flesh for us. And he came not only to put on flesh, but then to allow that flesh to suffer for us. And he's not only taken in some sort of blood that courses through our own veins, but then he allows that blood to bleed out through excruciating pain for us because he has given to us. He is given to us. 
and He is for us because He loves us. Do you know that love? Do you trust in that love? Can you fathom that love? We have need of Him, and for our sakes He has become man. Therefore it behooves us people that we accept Him with joy, as the angel here says, unto you is born a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you so much for all that you do for us. And those words sound light compared to what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. Thank you for the announcement of the greatest gift the world has ever known, that all of the world's people have ever known, that you came in the flesh and you came for us. So thank you, Lord, for giving us your body, giving us your blood. Thank you that, Lord, you sent your son, not out of condemnation, but out of love. And so we just pray that as we saturate on what we know to be true, that you have been given to us, that we would be moved to have that same sort of sacrificial, generous love for others as well. Are we willing to give ourselves to others as you have been given to us? Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.